And this is just one of those other just things because, um, you know, Gordon Buboltz, he he's the one who oversees all of our grounds, does a phenomenal job with that. So he arranged for that mulch. But even as he was arranging that, uh, I kept thinking, what if he doesn't get enough? Or if he possibly gets too much. And then he had arranged with Jeff Wilkie to come on Friday to, to use his bobcat to kind of move it around to the different islands. So all we had to do was spread it out. But, but even I was talking with Jeff later, I said, I said what, if, what if he didn't put the right amount? Or what if he ran out? Or there's so many ifs. And then as we got started with that, you know, at 8 o'clock, you know, there was, there was maybe like two guys here at 8. And I thought, if the two of us have to do this, <laughs> it's going to be a long day. And there's, the if worked out great because it's, it's so, like, even the last work day we did, I had so many people afterwards saying, sorry, I couldn't be here. I really intended to. I had this, and next time I'm there. And again with this, and, and I did wonder if we had enough. But I'll tell you, God just does it the right way because we did have the exact right amount because just as Jeff was finished with the last load with his bobcat, we were right behind him and done. We all ended at the exact same time. So I appreciate God doing the way he does and appreciate all you who helped. It's, it's all those little ifs that go into balance and make things happen. It's the ifs in your life that make the ifs for other people possible. It's amazing, isn't it, how intertwined our lives are and interrelated and interdependent? So many things. And I, I, we talked the other day about, or last week about, you know, you, if you hadn't met your spouse, then you wouldn't have your little ifs running around. And I was reminded about kind of that, how that is in my personal family. My father and mother grew up in the same town but didn't know each other. And it wasn't a huge town. I mean, they grew up in Ukiah, California. It's about, about two hours north of San Francisco in the Redwoods. They, grew up, they went to the same high school but didn't know each other because my dad was a senior. She was a freshman. You know how that is. You know, you don't talk to the freshmen. But he knew her older brother. And they were friends but didn't know about the younger sister. And it was years later. My dad was already in the Navy a couple years. And then if... His aunt hadn't lived right next door to my mom's family. And if my aunt hadn't said at one point, hey, Bob, there's this cute little girl who lives next door. And uh, she's a senior in high school. I think you should call her up or visit her. I guess back then you just visited. But anyway, if that had not happened, and then if uh, my dad had not got stationed in, uh, because he was stationed out there on the West Coast, but then he got stationed to, he got moved to uh, New Jersey, and he basically told my mom, hey, this is it. Either you're going to marry me and we're going to move or we're done. If she had not said yes, I mean, that's just how life is, isn't it? It's a lot of ifs to think through there. Everything begins with if. It just kind of goes that way. I mean, if is so pivotal. And I think about, you know, everything from, from men landing on the moon. You know, if someone hadn't said if we did this and this and this, and I don't want to go into the detail of what it takes to get, get a man to the moon, but I mean, if that hadn't have happened, you know, we probably wouldn't have moon pies. Just, just saying. Um, you know, and you think about the achievements that go into the Nobel Prize and the ifs that are involved in that, and then the ifs even with the Oscars and how that happens. And I, 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 we lived in the LA area for a long time, and, and it, it is comical. If you ever go out to eat in Hollywood, you should just try this. It's kind of funny. But if, if your waiter or waitress walks up, you'll say, hey, are you an actor? Chances are they'll say, yes. Have you seen my work? <laughs> You're like, no. I'm just guessing. Because so many of them are unemployed and, or, or trying and starving and working there in the, in the area. And, you know, if you think through what it takes to get some, a movie made, it's ridiculous. So many ifs. 
Because some of the screenplays, you know, are original. Obviously, there's original screenplays. And then, then so many others are, um, you know, adaptations of, a, of an existing work. And if you get permission to write an adaptation or screenplay, and then you send it in to, I mean, there's literally thousands of them that come across the, decks, the desks of probably a producer's assistant's assistant. You know what I mean? Maybe an assistant's assistant assistant. And then that assistant, if they read it, because there's no guarantee, it could be stacked up on their desk and they may have other things going on and then there's deadlines and they say, did you read all those? And if they did or if they didn't, they might say yes, even though they didn't. And that screenplay is just lost. And if that happens, you might send it to another one. But if somebody likes it, it might get kicked up the chain. And then if the next person likes it, it might go another step further. And if they like it, then it may get up to a producer. And then if they think it has enough uh, potential, then they may talk to investors or may talk to other people. And if there's enough money and enough behind it, then they may end up going on and the project may get some traction. And if they can find the right director and if the actors are available and a lot of ifs, right? How many remember Rocky when that came out? I mean, it was a long time ago, but I mean, I'm talking to the original back in the late 70s. You remember that? That's an interesting story if you've never heard it before because... What ended up happening is, is uh, Stallone, who wrote that thing, they say he wrote it only in a few days. He got inspired by a true life story similar to that, that story, and he, he just wrote it. And then when he started shopping it around, people were interested in it, but he wanted to play the main character, and they just looked at him and like, well, you're not really famous. You're not known enough. And then they, I don't know if they didn't like his acting ability or what, but that wasn't going to happen at first. So the story goes, I was looking to do some research on this. He was 30 years old at the time, supposedly only had $106 to his name, and he turned down the the most amount that was offered for a screenplay was $300,000, which in today's dollars would be close to a million dollars. But he turned it down because he said, if I can get this made, he believed in that project enough, and he thought, if I can tell the story myself, then I can control how the story's told, and if I get to do this, then it'll stay the way I wanted it to be told. And so he did that. One interview I, I researched, he said 10 months before the Oscars, he was parking cars to make ends meet. And then if you know the story, uh, there were uh, actually four other actors they wanted to play that role, and here's the four. Does anybody know who they are? Well, let's start from the left. Okay, everybody's like Robert Redford, all the ladies. Okay, we know who he is, all right. But let's start on the left. Anybody know who that is? Because he doesn't look like that today. But yeah, that's James Caan. At, at the time of the filming, he would have looked more like that. And then, of course, there's Burt Reynolds and, yes, Robert Redford and Ryan O'Neill. Yep, yep. Those guys were famous and probably a lot more expensive, but they were famous at the time. And so any producer, if they want a guarantee, you're going to go with someone famous, Right. You're not going to go with an unknown or a virtually unknown. I mean, Stallone had performed in some movies and done a lot of extras work. I mean, he, he had done a lot of those things. But in the end, he held on and did produce his own movie. And uh, that's just a, that's a clip. may not be your favorite from the movie, but, but that's more like what he looked like at the time when he did that shot and did that movie. Um, he, the movie cost just over a million dollars to produce. His, it was a million seventy-five thousand dollars to do. In the U.S. alone, it it uh, made $117 million on an if, just a little if. And then six Rockies later, the Rocky Enterprise itself is worth over a billion dollars. A billion dollars. It's a big if, isn't it? And if there was no Rocky, there wouldn't have been the other five Rockies. 
Anybody ever seen all of them? I'm not, I haven't even seen them all, but okay. There wouldn't be the other five Rockies. There'd be no Rambo, right? If there hadn't have been this, I doubt there'd have been the others. There wouldn't have been over the top. You guys remember that one? The arm wrestling? <laughs> like five of you. Okay. Uh, Tango and Cash, Cliffhanger, Demolition Man, Judge Dredd, Ant. Did you know he was an Ant, the animated movie? He's one of the voices in there. And then all three Expendables. In, in total, he's done over 59 movies. If. If. And I mentioned last week in the Bible, there are, there are a lot of ifs as well. And uh, those ifs, what did I say they were? Do you remember? Conditional conjunctions. Remember that? Conditional conjunctions. And those ifs in the Bible are weighted. They're, they're if you do this, then God's promises come. And do you remember the song? Let's just hear it. If we can. Here, let's hear it. Oh, it's stuck in my mind. Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. Conjunction, junction. If you don't remember anything else, you'll probably remember this song. <laughs> well, anyway, if that conditional conjunction connects what we are supposed to do to what God's promises will be, it connects. So many things in our life. Now, we've talked about ifs, you know, obviously in Hollywood or ifs and landing a man on the moon. And those are all big and important. But when it comes down to our lives, our lives that, that we live, here's what I want you to think about. The if, they've got God's promises, and then the if comes in and we have to follow through with something. Here's what I want you to think about. All that stands between you and God's promises is that little tiny word, if. If. There's a lot of promises in the Bible, a lot. And a lot of times we look at those promises and we, we assume they're for somebody else because we haven't seen those things happen in our lives. Or we assume that they're unattainable because so far it hasn't happened for us. And just like all those songs we sang today and that imagery of God will come through and he will take care of you. And if you're in a situation where you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling like you're being flooded over then that if becomes really, really big. And it's no longer just a tiny if, it's a big if. If everything in your life feels like it's falling apart and things beyond your control are happening that you cannot change at this moment, then that if gets big. And you really need to trust. We need to remember the people obviously down on the, on the coast in, in Texas and think about how much rain they're getting right now. I know I saw this morning that Lee Strobel, who wrote The Case for Christ, he put on there that his rain gauge had a capacity of 16 inches and it was overflowed when he checked it this morning. It's amazing. What's, what's your greatest if? Or what's an if that you're considering right now? Or maybe an if that you're wondering about. Maybe, maybe for you, it's you're, you're thinking about a job change. And if you do this, what could that mean for my family? Or what could that mean for my career going forward? Or maybe it's the if you choose a certain career. And what if I don't choose the right one? Or what if this isn't what fits me best? Or maybe you're considering, you know, what classes to take or what, what career in the beginning or what, what degree or there's so many things. Let me ask you a question. I love asking people this because it's so hard to dream with, with a world that has so many limitations. But if, if you were guaranteed that you could not fail, that you could not fail, that there would be no limitations, nobody judging you, nothing, what would you do? What would you do? What would you choose to try if you knew you couldn't fail? Hmm. Think about that for a minute. 
And obviously, you, you, I'm sure everybody in this room, there's enough of us that, that the ifs are big there and the different things you're thinking about are big. But, but what are you praying for and asking God for that is that kind of a thing, that it's that big? I, I, I know there's that popular movie, the bucket list movie, and I've, I've never even seen the movie, but the concept about, about things that you want to accomplish before life is over. And, and some of us, instead of that, we struggle with if only regrets and we think about things that we didn't do or things that were maybe on that list that we didn't accomplish. And there's steps that we need to take to make those things happen, but we're paralyzed either with bills or other responsibilities or just the inability to make those things happen. I think about this a lot when I, when I perform at a funeral because uh, as I... As I work in a funeral, as a minister, there's a lot of things as a pastor we're trying to do. We're trying to comfort the grieving. We're trying to comfort those who are left behind. And one of the things we do, I'll just let you inside, one of the things that we do is I intentionally try to communicate things that I know the people in the crowd need to hear said. Because either they are feeling them and can't articulate them, or maybe they just need somebody to come alongside and say, yes, what you are feeling is a normal, natural reaction, and it's what everybody's feeling. And a lot of those are regrets because there's so many times where, you know, the, the loss comes and, and it's a surprise or, and maybe that's, you, you sit there and you think, if only I would have said, if only I could have apologized, if only we could have said we love you one more time, if only I could have let them know that they were forgiven, if only, if only I was there, if only we had spent more time together, if only I hadn't. Let me just say this about that. Don't wait. Don't, don't live with regrets in those situations. Even, if, even as I said those words, if you thought of somebody that had you lost them, you would regret, can I just encourage you to take care of that now? Not right now. Oh, you could do it right now. I guess you could text or something, but I want to encourage you, though, to do it right now. Don't wait. Life is too short, and I don't want any of you to have if-onlys. If nothing else, I want you to remember that. Oh, so much of our lives hinge on those critical ifs. It's such a powerful word. What I want you to do is this, what it says in that little box, trade your if-only regrets for God's what-if possibilities. His possibilities are so big. And in this, this portion of scripture we're looking at in these, this series, we're looking at Romans. The book of Romans is a, is a great book for so many reasons. Um, theologians do look at it as probably the most complete theology in the New Testament. What I mean by that, by theology, is a study of God and salvation. And, and he lays it all out in a very concise way in the book of Romans. And one of the reasons he does that, because people say, why didn't he do that in all of his other letters? Well, he had reasons for writing those letters. And if you look at the letters, most of the other letters, he had been to those churches before. So he was either co correcting a situation he'd heard about or he's encouraging about something he'd already been there. But, but Romans is different because he'd never been to Rome. He knew that there are Christians in Rome and he intended to go there. And he mentions it in other letters, I intend to go to Rome. And he mentions it in this letter. So what he does since he's never been there is he lays out the Christian faith in a very concise way. He's, he's laying the groundwork so that when he gets there, he can build on this foundation in the book of Romans. That's why it's different than the other letters that he's written. So it's before he's even written. And what's interesting about it, too, is when he does eventually visit Rome and meet those Christians, he does it in chains. He didn't get to go as a free person. He goes as a prisoner when he does eventually go. 
And we talked about it last week, the hinge verse for this whole series. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? (laughs) If God is for us, who could ever be against us? I love it because as we said last week, as we said last week, if, if God is for us, then you have unlimited potential, unlimited possibilities, and the greatest force in the universe on your side. On your side. It's as if the other team doesn't even have a chance. It don't even have a chance. If God is for you, who could be against you? Could you do something with me for a minute? Could you just say, if God? Say it again. And what could follow that? I mean, if God, who, 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 there's no competition. It's almost like the fight is fixed, like last night, right? Just kidding. I don't know if that fight was fixed or not. All I know is, well, whatever. I don't even know. All I know is it is a fixed fight, but it's totally different than any fight you're ever going to see on earth because the fight is the person on your side is undefeatable. There's nobody that the enemy has a chance. You have, you're, you've got the, the, the ringer right on your side there. But, but see, the thing is, we don't live like that, do we? We don't live as if that's a current reality. We don't live as if we're victorious. We don't live as if we're the champion of the world and we've never been defeated in a fight. We don't live as if we've made over 59 movies and we're the top of the game in Hollywood. We don't live like that. And part of the reason we don't is because our memories tend to drag us down. And memory, like we mentioned, is a tricky thing. Memory is one of those things you look back and you think, why why do I remember these things and not these things? And you may know people, it seems like all they remember is the negative. And, and, and maybe you have brothers and sisters. I have two sisters, one passed away and one that's still alive. And it's comical to me. Anytime we were together and we would talk about past memories, they would always be wrong. <laughs> they always remembered it wrong. My, my younger sister was 10 years younger, my older sister a year and a half. And it's based on their personality. They had such a different view of what happened. And both of them had a different view of my parents. And, and I, I, I was always amazed. Like, we grew up in the same house. I was there. I remember how it happened. But we remember things so differently. It cracks me up. Studies say that we probably only remember about 3% of our life events. Isn't that interesting? And I've never done the math, but whoever did, they did the math. And they say that's about 17 experiences from any one given year. Now, of course, the other memories are probably in your subconscious, and you get to deal with those in your dream life and some other time, but, but active in the front of your mind memories, about 17 for every year that goes by. Have you ever wondered about that photo- photographic memory? When you hear about that, wouldn't that be kind of cool? If you're taking a test, you're trying to remember names, or you're trying to remember places, if, and if you want to win at Trivia Crack, you've got that photographic memory, wouldn't that be awesome? I I think there's a reason God didn't give many of us that. Because I think in his attention is there's some things he really wants you to forget. Now, having said that, let's think about this for a minute. If, If you could remember everything in the clearest detail, I wonder if you'd have any friends, you know? Because we all fail each other at one point or another, don't we? I mean, it would be difficult sometimes to get over and past things because they'd be stuck in your memory and it would be vivid and and as if it happened yesterday. <laughs> remember, remember in back in your literature class, you had to read that classic by Nathaniel Hawthorne? Did you remember it? The Scarlet Letter? He published it in 1850. Published something in 1850 that nearly 150 years later, we still talk about. 
And we have this phrase, and most people don't even know what it's from because they haven't read the book, but uh, do you remember what the scarlet letter was? Does anybody remember? A, that's right. It was an A. And that stood for adultery. And if you don't remember the story, what happened is this woman was found to have committed adultery, and she had to wear this letter, and then she was shamed by the community as an adulteress. And she had to wear that letter around all the time. I've been thinking about that. Because in a way, that's kind of like a photographic memory, isn't it? How could she forget? Because every day she would walk around and have to put that letter on. And she had to live with the guilt of her sin every day right in front of everybody. And it would be broadcast for everybody to see. And I wonder sometimes if we don't walk around with a letter like that. It may be an A. It might be adultery. Could be a D for divorce. Or it could be... A lot of things. It could be just an F for failure, right? And maybe other people don't see the letter, but you do. And every time you look in the mirror, that's what you see. There's a lot of letters it could be. It could be an A for addiction. It could be, could be so many things. And you can't get it out of your mind. And when you look in the mirror, instead of seeing that if God is for us, who could be against us? What you see is a letter, and you're defined by something in your memory that you can't get rid of. And as much as you try to take it off, it still is there. Over and over and over. But here's the sad part about this particular story. And sometimes our story is the community didn't let her forget either. Remember that part? It was the community, all those fingers. I was so glad I found this picture because they're pointing at her constantly. And we do the same thing, don't we? We, we tie people to an event in the past that maybe they've asked for forgiveness for or, or maybe they've reconciled even with you. But for some reason, you can't let them go. You just can't let it go. And every time you see them, you see the letter, and then you treat them differently because of that. I may have told this story before, but when I was in high school, one of my best friends, his sister, had grown up with us in church, and then, I don't remember when it happened, I don't know if it was her sophomore year, junior year, but she left home. And uh, she, she was a white girl, but she started hanging out with all the vatos, and she started dressing like that, and you know, I, you, we don't see much of that here in this area, but... Uh, where I grew up, you saw it a lot, you know, and her makeup would go, her eyes would go way out to here, and the hair looked a certain way, and that's who she was. And we would see her at school sometimes when she wasn't skipping school, but um, she was hanging out with a lot of older people, the older crowd. We knew she was doing drugs. I mean, it, you could see it in her, in her face and the way she looked, and it was sad. I remember one time in particular, it was um, right after school, and we were leaving school for something, and, and we saw her, and she was with these lowrider guys in a, in a lowrider, and they were, they were a lot older than us. And, we, and I said, let's go talk to her. You know, and her brother go, oh, I don't know if that'd be good. <laughs> well, let's, let's just do it. So we walked up, and, you know, she wouldn't talk to us. She just kind of looked at us like this. And these guys were just telling us, hey, you need to step off, man. And we're just, <laughs> okay. And uh, we invited her to church. And I remember seeing her eyes look up, like, you know how people talk without talking? It's as if she said, are you serious? And we just told her, yeah, you should come. And, and the way our church was at the time, the church had merged with a smaller church. A, you know those old congregations that had the pews that just went straight down the middle, kind of long. You know, I don't know how big a church it was, honestly. You know, I was a kid. I don't remember. But, but I remember this. I remember for youth service, I was sitting like where the youth are right here. My friend and I were sitting like right there up in the front on this side. And I remember the night during youth service, when the doors cracked open, and it was old enough church where it kind of squeaked, you know? And then it was one of those things where we saw everybody's head jerk around, 
And we could see the, the expressions on their faces like, whoa. And it was her. She was walking in church. And we're like, whoa, can't believe she's coming in here. But here's what's sad. Everybody knew who she was. Everybody. What would you want the church to do at that point? Wouldn't it would be cool if they said, so good to see you. And they run up, hey, come sit by me. Hey, come sit by me. You, ah, it's so great to see you. I'm so glad you're here. That's not what they did. They act like, oh, my goodness. I can't believe she's here. What is she doing here? She don't belong here. Look at her. Because she still looked the same. She still had the letter on that communicated whatever else people thought of at the moment. And I remember when she came in, she just sat right in the back. So we got up and went and sat by her in the back. And, and I kept like, as we're walking by, like, be nice. Talk to her. I'm looking at everybody like, do something different than what you're doing. And, you know, I mean, this is my friend. And so we, anyway, we had a big event that weekend. And uh, it, I remember distinctly, you know, we, uh, my friend and I, he drove, I didn't have a car, and, and we were sitting in the parking lot waiting, and I remember the bus was sitting there, and, and people were getting on the bus. We were going to an amusement park or something, I don't remember what it was at the time, but I remember the lowrider rolled in, and she got out, and she started to get on the bus, and we're like, whoa, she's here. So we're trying to get out of our car, and we had parked further away, you know, we were trying to be cool and junk. So we're walking across the parking lot, trying to walk up there, and we watched as she got on the bus, and nobody gave her a seat. We could see through the windows, and everybody was scooting over, like, so she couldn't sit down. And by the time we got there, it was over. She walked off the bus, and she just put her hand up and walked away. And that was it. And I, I man, we were so furious. And I remember my friend got on the bus, and he was kind of yelling. I don't know what he was even saying. I don't remember, because I just remember thinking, what? Was she changed yet? Probably not. I don't even know. But I'll tell you this. We didn't let her change. We didn't let her even try to change. We didn't even let her get close to changing. And would those girls have had anything in common with her? <laughs> Probably not. I don't know. Other than the fact that we're all sinners saved by grace. Other than the fact that we've all got some letter hanging around us that maybe other people can't see, but we know it's there. Other than the fact that, that when God saves, he saves completely. You know, and it, it reminds me of this story or this, well, let me just hit this verse real quick. There's now no condemnation, but it reminds me of this story in John where as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And they're trying to trap Jesus because they didn't have the authority to, to actually carry out a capital offense. And they were trying to see if his teachings on grace would, would extend this far. And I'm sure there was a lot of other things going on. And if you know the story, what happens is Jesus looks at all of them and then he kind of stoops on the ground and starts drawing in the, in the dust, it says. And then he stands up and he says, you who's without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says that one by one, from the oldest to youngest, they walked away. And then Jesus says to her, he says, uh, he stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she says. And then Jesus says, neither do I go and sin no more. This verse or this story, it, rem it reminds me of that because it's so easy, us, easy for us to throw stones because why, why is it? I know it makes us feel better, and we, we feel like we're a little bit better than the other person because we've got a stone to throw, but the thing is, grace 
completely changes things. The thing is that Jesus didn't condone her sin, but he defended her. He didn't defend her sin, but he defended her right to be changed and be different. He said, go and sin no more. (laughs) He did give her a new letter to wear, didn't he? In a way, he changed that A from adultery to, sounds funny saying an A to an F, but he did. He changed it to an F for forgiven. She traded in the A for an F. Again, that sounds hard to say, isn't it? But he did. And it's the same thing he does for us, whether it's an A or, or, or an F for failure or whatever. But he gives us that F for forgiven, and it changes everything. All of a sudden, the math has completely changed, and life is no longer the same. And, and let me ask you this. Since grace changes everything, I said it changes everything, but why do we limit it? Why do we limit it for others and ourselves? We know it's true, and you would probably say it to somebody, but the fact is, when it comes down to your life, there's probably a few things that you're holding on to and you're feeling guilty for even today. And worse, we look at other people and we don't let them change. Does everybody change overnight? No. Is everybody perfect? No. No, no, no. They're not. But it does change. This verse right here in Romans 8, 1, the the whole chapter starts out with it. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Let Let me ask you a really obvious question. When is there no condemnation? You can speak out loud. When is there no condemnation? Now. You don't sound very sure of that. When? Is it is it when you're perfect? Is it when you get better when you when you you're more like somebody else? Is it, is it when maybe you go to heaven? Is it maybe when you pay enough for your sin? Let me ask you this. When is now for those who you know need to change? When they're sorry enough or when they say they're sorry enough? Or Now, believe me, I am not at all minimizing this and minimizing sin. But it says now. Now. It's a finished thing. It's a finished work. It's now. Jesus finished it on the cross. There's no more you could do to be better. You can't take your condemnation away by anything you do. Our our, our memories, again, can be so difficult to get get away from. But you can't do anymore. You know, I think of some of the the characters in Scripture. I think of Paul, who originally was named Saul, and God changed his name later. But as Saul, do you remember the story in Acts where he holds the coats of those who are stoning Stephen? I don't know what sins you guys think of when you think of your own sin i have no idea but i know this i know how they stoned people back then and it was gruesome it was gruesome forget this you know the the way we punish today where it's got to be like almost painless i mean they threw rocks as big as they could find which there wouldn't have been a lot of rocks there because it would have been in the city still but still they would have thrown rocks till the person is pummeled to death saul saul witnessed that There's some things in life it's going to be difficult to unsee. I wonder if that's one of those things. And I wonder if for Saul, as he was preaching, or if he was going around teaching, or if there was times, even in the still of night, where that image would flash into his mind, and he would say to God, I know I'm forgiven for this. I know. Because there's now no condemnation. See, conviction, those words, conviction, condemnation, they're so similar but conviction is, is what God does. He convicts us of sin through the Holy Spirit when we have unrepentant sin, and we need to fix that. That's conviction. Condemnation is not from God. It's from the enemy that attacks us about things that are already buried in the past. 
And I wonder if that ever happened for Saul and all the other Christians that he persecuted. I mean, over and over, he literally hunted down and persecuted Christians like a terrorist. I mean, that's what he did. Now, God doesn't, he doesn't minimize our sin. That, if, if you were to minimize our sin, well, let, me, let me say it this way. Our view of sin will determine how much we value grace. The fact is, we don't minimize sin because if we did, then we would devalue the, the crucifixion of Christ and the sacrifice. We would devalue what he's done for us. The fact is, sin is real and it's huge, but what's also true is his sacrifice is bigger than the sin. And he changes our life forever because of it. Romans says, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You're made perfect now. Now. It's over. It's now. But here's the thing I want you to think about for a minute. Um, I want you to think about this. And worship team, if you could come up with me for a minute. This verse doesn't stop with the forgiveness, does it? What's that second half say? For those who belong to Christ Jesus, right? Do you may not have thought of this before, and I've never thought of it till preparing for this sermon series, but so much of the time in the church, we act as if it's kind of the glass half empty thing. We, oops. We, we talk about, we talk about uh, forgiveness, which is appropriate, but that's what he did, but he didn't stop there. You're not just forgiven to be forgiven. You are forgiven. There's no question about it. And because of that, you're made right with Jesus Christ, but it doesn't stop there. There's actually a half glass full part to this. There's actually a part that he wants to do for you with this. Let me, I said it this way. He didn't just save you from something. He actually saves you for something. I'm going to say again. He didn't just save you from something. He actually saved you for something. He doesn't just save you and said, okay, now you're clean. Good. See ya. See you in heaven. He actually has things for you to do here on earth. He saves you for things beyond your imagination. Things that you weren't qualified to do before when you were living in sin. When you were being controlled by your, your human nature to do whatever it is you wanted to do. The fact is when he saves us and purifies you, he saves you for good things, for other people. He saves you from bad habits so that you can create good habits. I know you've heard this a million times that it takes 21 days to, to create a habit. And sometimes you need to take control of what your life has been. And if you're dropping a habit, you need to start a new habit. And maybe that means that for 21 days, you spend a certain amount of time in prayer, which you didn't do before. Or maybe you spend a certain time in reading his word. Maybe you use one of the version Bible app reading plans. And there's a ton of them in there that are 21 days on purpose so that you can create a habit of reading his word. It's something that, that you take charge of and because he didn't just save you from something, he saved you for something to do something else. And he didn't just save you from your if-only regrets, but he also gives you what-if possibilities. He actually wants you to do things in the kingdom that he does through you. He actually wants you to free those who have a letter on them. And it's clear to you, but you know that God has saved them and they need help getting that letter off. And sometimes it has to do with the way we treat them and the way we look at them and the way we act. He saves us to, do, to, to right the wrongs of a sick and dying society. You know, I, I, I know I, I follow politics, I follow the news, but anytime we start to think that, that politics is going to fix the problems in our country, in our world, we're mistaken. It, it wasn't politics that changed the Roman Empire. It was Christians who loved and served. That's what it was. And it changed the hearts and minds of people from the ground up. 
And that's what it takes today. It takes us serving. It takes us knowing. It takes us loving and giving. That's what it takes. I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a minute. And as I do this, I, I really, I do this just so we're alone in a room full of people and you can think for just a minute. And I mentioned that one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to convict us of sin. One of his other jobs is to speak to us and to confirm with us that we belong to Christ. He communes with our spirit in so many ways. There's times where it's just an impression he gives you. Some, some people actually hear words. I've, I've even heard of people seeing words like on a screen in their mind. I don't know. All I know is this, that he loves you and he cares about you. And I know that there's some people here today who feel the need to reaffirm that they are forgiven. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you've never really felt forgiven. Maybe you've never said, yes, I believe and I want Jesus to forgive me for my sins and I want to be part of this thing called Christianity. Is there anybody here like that? That maybe for the first time you'd raise your hand and you'd say, yes, I want to be forgiven. Anybody at all? All right, let me ask this next question for all the rest of us. I'm going to ask two questions and just ask you to raise your hands. I'm wondering if anybody in here has struggled with just letting go of some of those memories. Do you feel still responsible for some of those things? Anybody at all? If you just raise your hands. See a lot of those hands. Let me ask a question that might be a little more painful to answer, but I'm wondering if any of you have felt maybe the conviction of the Holy Spirit telling you that you have been one of those who have not welcomed maybe an April or maybe of someone like that friend I mentioned or somebody who um, you see the letter on them and you can't get that out of your mind. Anybody at all like that? You'd raise your hand, be honest before the Lord. I do see those hands too. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you, but I'd also like for all of us to stand. And I'd like those who, uh, who are part of our prayer team and their, their spouses and our board and their spouses and pastors and their spouses, if you would come down, we'd like to just spend a few minutes praying with people to this morning before the service is over. And um, if you are needing help with one of those things we mentioned, or maybe if there's some physical thing you would like extra prayer for, for healing or a relationship issue, anything at all, we want to be here and available to pray with you. So as I lead in prayer, if you want more prayer, if you would just come down and pray with one of these who are gathered at the front. Father, I'm grateful that you love us. I'm grateful that you know us more and deeper than any other person could, even more than we know ourselves. And you know what letters should be hanging on the front of our shirts. But you also gave and sacrificed your son for us that we might be free. And I pray, God, that you would help us to accept that forgiveness this morning. And that in addition to that, you would help us to extend that to everybody we meet. As a worship team leads us in a song, I just want to invite you, if you want prayer for any reason at all, just want to invite you to come down and we'll pray with you.